So, Father, I just thank you. Um, I thank you, O oh Lord God, for your word. I thank you, Father, that it's timeless. And I thank you, Father, that it is life-giving. That it brings forth into this dimension, the heavenly dimension, when we will receive it. So, Father, tonight I pray, O oh Lord God, that every word that comes out of my mouth will come from that dimension of your throne room, O oh Lord God. And, Father, that it will settle in and draw into your presence all of us, O oh Lord God. I thank you, Father, for ears to hear and eyes to see. And I thank you, O oh Lord God, for a heart set on knowing you in that place of intimacy. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we were um, praying before service. We pray at 4.30. Um, actually, it's 4.45. On the website, it says 4.30, but it's 4.45. But I think 4.30 is a better time because we always tend to run out of time. So um, we pray at 4.30, and um, after this week, we'll pray in the larger room, but we've been praying in a very small room. But that prayer, that prayer time is very focused. That prayer time is for our pastor, Kyle, and it is for his family, all of us, and Shara. <laughs> and it is for the worship team and, and for the word that's coming forth. So if you would like to join us in that focus, I welcome you. Um, so when I talk to Kyle, listen, there is so much of this that it was really, really, really hard to narrow it down. So after prayer, I've decided that this is one of those 24-7 times. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, I've really had to just press into the Lord this week and um, hear what he's saying and and just focus on him as he has brought it in. Um, and so I'm very, very grateful for that. I love the word of God. I love the stories of the scriptures. And I've heard those stories since I was a very small child. Um, and they've always amazed me. I can remember as, as a little child, like four or five years old, sitting on my grandmother's lap. And she was... Um, I forgot. She, it, anyway, she was she was like mainline whatever she was. Her her daddy was a um, an elder in the oh she was primitive Baptist. I knew it come to me. <laughs> so just really strict and very you know, and so she would read the scripture to me, and she read like she started in Genesis. She went through Exodus. She went into Leviticus. And she was reading about blood sacrifice, and she was going, 
um, well, it's God. It's God's word. And me, little girl, sitting on her lap was going, yes. I mean, there was something in my spirit that just connected with that blood sacrifice, connected with, with the, the blood applied to the door, you know, just connected. And it was so awesome to me. So I've always had a love for the word of God. And I love the stories, but the thing about the stories is they're not just stories. They're given to us for a purpose. And we have to, you know, sometimes like we'll pluck out a favorite saying and we'll just hang everything on that favorite saying, you know, or that popular saying, that saying that, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to downgrade that at all, but... Sometimes we need to take the word that, that has been released and look into the story that brought forth the word. Does that make sense to you? So a, a very popular word right now, and I know you've heard it. I think we've said it here a lot. <laughs> it's Isaiah twenty two twenty two. Do you know what that is? Y'all can raise your hand if you know what that is. <laughs> okay. Oh, it's up there. That's why they know. <laughs> I will give him the key to the house of David, the highest position in the royal court. When he opens doors, no one will be able to close them. And when he closes doors, no one will be able to open them. Yes. Let's look at the story. Let's go back a little bit. And, and I didn't, um, well, let's just go back. Let me interrupt me for a minute. Um, because I just want to say this. Uh, I, like, I don't know, 2018, 19, the Lord gave me a word, roar. And um, in studying that word out and, and investigating what it was that he was saying, I heard about, I read about, learned about Judah, the tribe of Judah. And the symbol of that tribe or the emblem is the lion. And Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Sometimes we miss the tribe but in the prophecy that Jacob prophesied over Judah, he said this. He said, Judah is a lion's whelp. Do you know what that means? Young cub. A cub that had to grow and learn. And do you know what young cubs learn to do? They learn to roar. And do you know how they learn to roar? They listen. They listen to the older lions. And they learn when it's appropriate to roar and when it's time to be quiet. And that's very significant. But something took place up here tonight. A young whelp had a word, drew a picture, and came forth. And the word of the Lord pursued that and, and began to pronounce over the young whelps, the young lion whelps, 
that they are the now generation. They are in training, but beyond that, they are those who have developed because they've listened a roar. And it's time for that to be released. So every teenager in here right now, and every person under the age of, mm, I don't know, 90, say this, I am a young whelp, and I will sit in the presence of the lion of the tribe of Judah, and I will learn to roar with his roar. Amen. I think we were going, oh, Isaiah 22. That's where we were, or where we were going before I interrupted me. Um, so this story, I'm just going to tell you the story instead of just going back and reading it. But it's the story of um, Shebna, who was the king's steward. And what that meant was that he was over the entire household of the king who was Hezekiah. And uh, Shebna was uh, a little vainglorious, I think is a good word for it. One of the things that, that Sheba, Shebna was, was he was so caught up in his position. You know, he had a position. He carried some keys. He was a very important person. And uh, you know what he was going to do was he was, he made plans for this. He was just going to build a fancy tomb like a mausoleum up on a high place so everyone could see, even after he was gone, how important he was. That's who Shebna was. But you know what? God wasn't going to let that stand. So God came sent Isaiah, the prophet, to bring forth a word. Let's see, find it. Sorry. Um, this is what he said to, to Sheb, to, he sent Isaiah to Shebna, and this is what he said. that I will remove him and give his position to Eliakim, whose name means, God didn't say this, I'm saying this. His name, Eliakim, means raised, risen, raised up, or resurrected. Now, it says that Eliakim was Hezekiah's son, but that's not true. He was his grandson, and you're going, oh my goodness, do you think the Bible was wrong? No, I don't. I'm going to tell you what that means. And how do I know that he wasn't his son? Is because they've actually found Eliakim's seal. And on it, it's, it has the name of his biological human father, not Hezekiah. So I asked the Lord about that. And what the Lord said was, and this is a good word, he said that, that the spirit in, in Eliakim had come through the lineage 
of Hilkiah. And Hilkiah's name means God is my portion. So I want to ask you something. What are you leaving to your children and to your grandchildren? Are you leaving with them the understanding that God is their portion? Something to think about. Of Eliakim, God says, Then it shall be when I remove you, Shebna. Then it shall be in that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, I will clothe him with your robe and strengthen him with your belt. I will commit your responsibility into his hand. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David I will lay on his shoulder. So he shall open and no one shall shut. And he shall shut and no one shall open. I will fasten him as a peg, and the King James says, as a nail in a secure place. And he will become a glorious throne to his father's house. They will hang on him all the glory of his father's house. The offspring and the posterity, all vessels of small quantity, from the cups to all the pitchers, will be hung on this peg that is driven into the door of the house. One thing about the stories in the Old Testament is that they point forward. And this story about Eliakim, Shebna and Eliakim, is a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus. And that peg that was driven into the door, represents the Lord Jesus. And those vessels hung on that door, on that peg at that door, represent every one of us. One of the things, let me read, uh, Matthew Henry says that the peg or nail is a reference to a heavy, strong spike that was driven into the door or entry of a house. Vessels for use in the house were hung there. There were different vessels for specific purposes. The implication is that the vessels or servants, the people of the kingdom, will be secured to the door, the entry. Who's the way? The truth, the light. Who's the door? He is not only the door, he's the peg. By the strength of Eliakim. And Eliakim is that shadow of the Lord Jesus. So I want to talk to you just a minute about the vessels hung on that peg. Because it's important that we understand this. The vessels were different. They were not all alike. And they did not all serve the same purpose. Look, now I'm going to put it in modern language, but they did not take a spatula to dip soup out of the pot. It just wouldn't work. And they did not take, what do you call it, a ladle 
I was looking at Kyle like he would tell me what I was going to say. <laughs> I'll just prophesy that over him right now. Um, they did not take a ladle to flip pancakes in the frying pan. Each vessel had its specific purpose. And it is so important that we come into that place of understanding who we are as a vessel, what our purpose is, where do we fit in the house. I had a, a vision or a dream, and I know that sounds a little bit goofy, but sometimes I can't remember if it's a vision or a dream, especially if it happened a long time ago. But I had a, a, I think it was a dream, pretty sure it was a dream. And in, in this dream, I was in a house, and the house had, you know, it had a very large open area, kind of like this, but of course, like a house would be. And um, along the, around that large room were many doors. And um, as I watched in, in that, that dream, the doors began to come out, open up and people became out, came out. And as they came out, they gathered in one place. And it was almost like they become, became one. That's a pretty good picture. <coughs> we have two T's in Hatridge. Just saying. It's okay. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> two T's. Two T's. <laughs> uh, well, most people put a K on the end of it, too, so it's all right. Um, <laughs> God, help me come on back here. So, <laughs> so I want to look at... Um, and I'll, there are oh, look at that. That's incredible. It's a miracle. <laughs> or maybe not. <laughs> Listen, y'all got to work with me because if you start this cracking me up, we'll never get out of here. <laughs> okay. So. Going, going back to Eliakim, okay? I want, I want to say something to you about um, that the Lord highlighted to me about this. You know, Eliakim, God said Eliakim will be a father to the people. Well, that gives you the concept that Shebna was supposed to be a father to the people, but did not was not a father to the people. So I asked the Lord about what it, you know, explain this to me. Shebna was supposed to be a leader. He was one who was supposed to come in, take the people and kind of gather them up and become a father to them, teaching them, nurturing them, showing them the way, um, teaching them the law. And when I heard that, I thought, I've heard that before. You know, it's a, the Eliakim 
that came forward that, you know, Eliakim was the shadow of the one that would come. And so I heard this. He said, Jesus said to the teachers of the law, he said, what have you done here? Not only have you gotten it wrong, but you've taught the people wrong. You've built a big fancy kingdom for yourself. You've even planned wonderful graves and memorials to you. But you have not taught them who I am. So Eliakim would be a father to the people. I, you know, there's something, I just want to take it a little bit further, a little bit beyond that. And I want to say to you that we are called as the image of God to be a father to the people. We are called to teach them of the mercy and the goodness and the justice and the purity and the El Shaddai of the Most Highly One. Most High One. That's our calling. Like Hal said earlier when he was talking about we, we should be that people that are like that Talit. That garment. He's clothed us with righteousness. It should be that the people can reach out and touch in us that righteousness and be healed. That's his design, his desire for us. I'll tell you another little story. I love these stories. Do y'all like the stories? Bet you think of them a little bit different, huh? Listen, there are two stories. These are, these are amazing stories, okay? So one of them we've heard about. And, so, you know, I just want, I'm not saying that what we've heard is wrong, okay? But I am saying that I might have gotten a little bit more insight to it. So you know the story of Martha and Mary? Y'all know that story? Did you know that when you find written in the word, when you find one name uh, that is first, you know, like there's a couple and you find one name first and then the next name or the next name, whatever, do you know that the first name is the one that you need to pay attention to? Like, I'm just going to put this out there. In the letters, Acts, they talk about Priscilla and Aquila. Do you know who they were? They were teachers, you know. They taught Apollos, and they, but they were, they were teachers. But I want to point out something to you. The principal teacher was Priscilla, not Aquila. So if you're thinking that women can't teach, here, it's a big eraser. Just take it and erase it right now. But anyway, Martha, Martha owned the house. 
you know, Jesus went to Martha's house. And Martha, because she was such a good hostess, and look, there was an entourage with Jesus. There were at least 12 plus him, that's 13. And then there was Martha, Mary, and, and um, Lazarus. So that's 16. At least 16 people that she's you know, preparing for that she has to serve. And so she's real busy with that. And little Mary's sitting at somebody's feet, you know, just at the feet just worshiping, just listening to every word. And, and uh, Martha gets, yeah, kind of like aggravated. She reminds me of Peter. And she comes to, she says, Lord, Master, don't you, I mean, aren't you worried about me? Look at me. I'm just, I'm working so hard. I'm serving. And, and, and you know, tell Mary to get up and come on and help me. And he said, Martha, you're troubled about many things. But Mary has chosen the better part. And I studied that out. And, and uh, you know, I think what Jesus was saying was, Mary, it's important for her to come sit at my feet because there are some things that Mary has to get that you've already gotten. And you know why I think that? I think that because there's another little story about Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And this story is about he stinketh. Lazarus, I told you, don't do that. Lazarus died. So and the word came that he was really, really sick. And, and Jesus just hung out a while because he had a plan. He had a purpose, and he had heard from the Father. But anyway, Lazarus died, and Jesus was on his way to Bethany. And Martha must have been watching for him. Because they they're in the household, and there's Mary. And, and she's just surrounded by all these people that have come to say, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. You know, you, you, you love Lazarus so much, and I'm so sorry. And they were just consoling her, and she was there. But Martha had heard that he was coming. So she must have been looking watching and waiting because it says that when she saw him, she got up and she left the house and she went to meet him. Tell you something incredible. They have a conversation about the resurrection. You know, and, and, and Martha says, well, I know, Lord, that you will raise him up in that last day. And Jesus says, Martha... I am the resurrection. And this is what Martha said to him. She said, Lord, I know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The very same thing that Peter said to the Lord. And that came to Martha through revelation, heart, knowledge. I believe with all of my heart that Martha, Martha had sat in the presence of the king 
and she had received that revelation of exactly who he is, the anointed one. Don't you like these stories? Liking them better now, aren't you? Um, so I want to just go back. This is, I, I want to say this because I think this is so important for this house and, and for the children of God. But I want to say this. It's, it's imperative that we come into that place of knowing God. And I'm not saying that we don't know him. What I am saying is that our knowledge to this point in time is limited. He wants us to experience him in a place of intimacy. And I want to just read to you um, what that word means, intimacy. I think of it as... I think of intimacy as, as being a place closed in. You know, a place where you're closed in with someone and you become aware in your deepest being of who they are. You know, Intimacy is about fellowship, but fellowship, sometimes we limit the meaning of fellowship because we see it as something out there and not intimate. But God wants us to understand that fellowship, intimacy with him is that fellowship. Fellowship is that place of rapport. It's that place of where you know someone, you know what they're going to say, you know who they are, you know their likes and their dislikes, and you know everything about them. You know what makes them move. You know everything about them. It's a rapport with the one that you know. That's what rapport is, that deep knowing. It's a relationship characterized by understanding and trust. Intimacy is a place of communion. Knowledge that comes from a personal encounter on a continual basis. Not one time on Saturday night. Not 30 minutes while the worship team's worshiping. Continual basis. That's what God desires of us. That we would have communion with him. On a continual basis. I love Psalm 91. Can y'all quote that first two verses? I know y'all can quote it. You do it all the time. What time do I have to be aware of? Midnight. Midnight? Okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
I've got more notes out in the car if somebody going to get this. <laughs> um, Psalm 91. Oh, I love this. Can y'all go home with me? <laughs> Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Those who dwell in the presence of the Most High, in the secret place of the Most High, will find... Could you put New King James up for me? <laughs> this I declare about the Lord. He alone is my... Oh. <laughs> Jesus. Um, verse 1. Oh, well. Those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High. Love that word dwell. Love that word secret place. Love that Most High. So I'm going to uh, tell you what dwell means. This is an incredible word. It is yasab. Y'all say that, yasab. Yes, Hob. I love that. And I'm glad Susan, no, I wish Susan was here. Y'all keep Susan in prayer, but she would correct my pronunciation of the Hebrew, sorry. Um, so, Yasab means, um, I love Hebrew, I love the Paleo Hebrew. And that goes way back to where it was, you know, like hieroglyphics. It was just pictures, picture words. And so the, um, the Paleo-Hebrew is Yod, Shen, Bet. And the meaning is Yod is hands raised in worship. Shen is a coal bound to a flame. It's divine relationship or divine revelation and bet is the meaning it has the meaning of abode it's represented by a tent it means one flesh and it's a tent of meeting I want to talk to you about the coal for just a minute Isaiah 6 and and Amanda shared some of it earlier but when, when Isaiah came into the presence of the living God, he said, Woe unto me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And the seraphim came and touched his lips with a burning coal. That burning coal is represented in that word dwell. In the presence of the Most High God. In that presence with him, in that communion with him, there comes a time when the coal is brought forth and your lips are touched. And that prepares you to go forth into what he's commissioned you for. But beyond that, it's a purifying, cleansing or not beyond that, but it's a purifying, cleansing, purging thing. And there are times, just like Carol said, there are times for that cleansing, that purging, that cleansing. You know, I mean, I don't care. I pray that I never come 
into a place where Shebna lived. Where I think that I'm so great that I don't need to be purged. I pray God touch me, purge me, cleanse me, purify me. And that's what his righteousness, his clothing of righteousness compels you to, is that cleansing, that purging, that purifying. So secret place. Hmm. Secret place. That place set apart. That place where you can dwell with the Almighty, the Holy, 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 Holy One of Israel, the El Shaddai, the Mighty Warrior, the Eternal King, the Wonderful Counselor, the one on whom the government rests upon his shoulders. So Eliakim was given a set of keys. And those keys were carried by the steward on his shoulder, his right shoulder. Paints a picture. So I asked the Lord about those keys, and he began to talk to me about the master key. Have you ever seen a movie or television show or something where it's older and, and there's something going on and you know, maybe it's a hotel or maybe it's an apartment or whatever it is and they have to get in, but they, they don't have access, but there's someone in there or there's something in there that they need, whatever it is. And in the story, they, they go and get the owner or the manager and, and he comes with a master key and he unlocks that door. <clears throat> But now, the person that has rented that room or that apartment, whatever it is, they have a key. And there may be many apartments or many rooms, but the key that they have will only fit their door. It won't fit your door. Or your door. Or your door. That's why it's so important for us to understand the key. Now there's the master key, but then there are individual keys, just like Eliakim had on his shoulder. See, he had individual keys to each door in the palace, <clears throat> but he also had a master key that opened Every door. <clears throat> Pretty good picture there. Just pray into that. Rest in that. Ask the Lord, what specific key have you been given? And remember that keys 
open doors. So you've been given a key to open a specific door. You need to know what that key, that door is. <clears throat> kind of reminds me of the vessels on the peg in the door. So Psalm 91 <clears throat> was written, was not written by David. I mean, I thought it was, but it wasn't. And they're not really positive about who it was written by, but I think I know. I think I know that Moses wrote that psalm, song, and I think that uh, I can determine that because <laughs> he dwelled in the shadow of the Most High God. There's a, a story in um, Exodus 33. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure of the specific scripture. I think it's 33, 7. I don't know. <clears throat> anyway, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the story, and then we won't have to worry so much. But anyway, this Moses, who had gone up on the mountain, do you remember that? He went up on the mountain over and over again. <clears throat> but <clears throat> what he did, he came down and with his with his servant um, Joshua, <clears throat> the son of Nun, N U N, not N O N E, and <laughs> and um, as they were coming down the the mountain, you know Moses had just met with that Most High God, the El Shaddai, in that incredible place. And as they were coming down, they heard all this noise. And Joshua said, oh, it's the sound of war. He was a warrior. He had a key to the door of war, okay? But, but Moses said, mm-mm, no, that's the sound of revelry. I said to the Lord one time, um, why did Joshua think it would sound of war? And he said, because it was. It was both. <clears throat> But see, the enemy thought he was victorious, and the people became frivolous and, you know, dancing before the demonic forces that had deceived them and pulled them into bondage. But one of the um, incredible things about that, if you read the story of Shebna, you'll, you'll read that one of the things that the people did were they were on the rooftop celebrating and they said, we'll eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow we'll die. And God said, you know what? You have not looked to me and you have not honored me. So anyway, there's this incident where, um, you know, this happening where the people have, you know, collected all their gold, all their jewelry. It's supposed to be provision for them in the promised land. And they put it together and... You know, uh, anyway, the golden calf is built, and we know that story. But then later, what it says is that Moses took his tent outside the camp, and it became a meeting place. It became the tabernacle or the tent of meeting in the wilderness. And when Moses would go into that that listen, the people said, Hey, 
you go up to the mountain, but we're going to stay back here and let the enemy deceive us. But, you know, you go. But then Moses took his, his tent outside the camp. And when he went in to the tent, the cloud of the presence descended and it filled the whole tent. And the people, listen, the people, the people were free to go in the tent and meet with the Most High God. Isn't that incredible? Let's read all the story. And then it says that Moses, this is the thing that I, I really wanted to pull out. It says that Moses came out of the tent to the people, but his young servant, Joshua, stayed in the tent of meeting in the presence of the Lord. Because you see, Joshua, that young whelp, was being prepared to lead a people into the promised land. The only way we will be equipped to lead a people into the promise is if we remain in the tent of meeting, getting to know the Almighty. So, whomever wrote, and I think it was Moses, I think y'all think that too, whoever wrote Psalm 91 had an incredible experience <clears throat> because in that place of fellowship, that place of communion, something incredible happened. They saw the El Shaddai. They saw the God Most High. They saw the Deliverer. And there's something in me that thinks when you go into that place, that place of meeting, that tabernacle, that place of communion, I think you begin to know yourself as he knows you. I think the things that are, are stripped away so that you can see clearly who you are in the reflection of who he is. And I think that in that place, all the things that stand between you and purpose are wiped away. Because all of a sudden, or not all of a sudden, it takes a minute or two, takes a meeting on a continual basis. But all those things that you think stand between you and that purpose, God, I can't go. I'm a, you know, I stutter when I talk. Go back and read the story. 
Abraham met God. Sorry, Moses met God in the burning bush, and he said, I can't, I can't go. I can't go speak to Pharaoh. I stutter when I talk. You know, educated in Egypt, he stuttered when he talked. But I can't go. And God said, that's okay. I'll get your brother to go with you. He can talk for you. But you know what? Between that burning bush and Pharaoh's court, there must have something incredible happened because go back and read how many times Aaron spoke for Moses. Didn't happen. I think he spent a lot of time with the God of the burning bush. And that applies to us. So this happened. I love this story. I'm going to plug prayer, okay? Jesus said that we were to be a prayer, a house of prayer for all nations. If we're not a house of prayer, we're failing in part of the commission. And I believe that to go forward into purpose, we have to become that house of prayer. So I encourage you, go to Foundations Sunday, and next Sunday, come to prayer. No, come to prayer if you're not going to Foundations. And I encourage you, if you need to go to Foundations, do that. But it's important. It is so important that we learn, that we come into the school of prayer, that we learn how to pray, learn what it is that God wants to say to us about prayer and, and how he wants to equip us in that, that thing. There are so many facets of prayer. But, but see, we are disciples of the Lord Jesus. Is that not right? Yep. And so that means that we are to learn his lifestyle. And so one of the things that Jesus was noted for, do you know what it was? Prayer. Thank you, Devin. Prayer. Absolutely. So, I mean, it even got to the point where the the disciples said to him one day, hey, he's got, I mean, you know, look, this man walks on water. You know, and what we've noticed is he goes up to a mountain and prays, and then he comes down and heals the sick and performs all these miracles. And he comes walking in the middle of fourth watch, fourth watch, what, you know what that means? He sent the disciples away before dark, and at the fourth watch, he came walking on the water. See, the fourth watch is like between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning. Guess how long he was on that mountain praying? A long time. But they said... He's got something going on in this prayer thing, so teach us to pray. And then, then we have what we call the Lord's Prayer, but it's not. It's a teaching of the Lord about prayer. You want to know the Lord's Prayer? Go to John chapter 17. Okay? Now, he prayed 
that we would be one as he and the father. I got a little agreement in the corner over here. <clears throat> he prayed that we would be one even as he and the father are one. And he prayed that we would be one with them. Do you know what that means? That we're to be one with the father. But he's, this is something he said, and I'm going to throw this word out to you. So we remember dwell. Dwell means abide, to settle down. But Jesus said, if you abide, whoa, if you settle down in that place, if my word, all that I've taught you, all that you've witnessed, all that you've seen in me, if that abides in you, yeah. Then he said, you can ask anything of my father, and it'll be given to you. That's incredible. And, and we use that for prayer, and that's good. That's, incre- that's awesome. That's good. But we can't miss the abiding part, the abiding with him part of prayer. But Jesus came down at one point. Listen, he fed the thousands. He did it a couple of times, you know, and then he sent the disciples away. But he came, and the, to me, I'm not a theologian. You know, I don't study from that perspective, whatever that perspective is. So I don't get the chronological, you know, of the Gospels. I, I don't understand that. I know that in Luke it says one thing, and it kind of shifts and says, but there are four people sharing the gospel story of the Lord Jesus. So so it varies a little bit. But Jesus, um, people were beginning to talk. You know, they were talking a lot. They were trying to figure out who this guy was that could feed thousands, open the eyes of the blind, open the ears of the deaf, raise the dead. Who is this man? Who could it... He must be Elijah, or maybe John the Baptist isn't as dead as we thought he was. Maybe it's John the Baptist. Who is it? So Jesus asked the disciples, he said, um, he said, well, who do you think? They're, you know, first he said, who do the people say I am? And then, you know, Elijah, John the Baptist, they really don't know. They think you might be the Messiah, but they don't know. And then the Lord said, well, who do you say that I am? Do you remember what Martha said? Peter said the same thing. He said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the anointed one who was to come and has now come. And Jesus said this thing to him. He said, Peter, Little Rock, Little Rock, not Arkansas, Little Rock, (laughs) man hasn't revealed this to you. You know, you didn't learn this through the lawyers who were supposed to be fathers and weren't. Man didn't teach you this. This revelation didn't come through man. 
but it came from my father. And, and he said, on this rock, different word, Peter is little rock, and on this rock, bedrock, founding rock, foundation rock foundation of revelation I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it and do you know where he stood he was in Caesarea Philippi and he stood when he prophesied when he spoke that to Peter he stood at a place called the gates of hell where Pan the false god was worshipped and all kinds of vile things were done in that place. And he said, none of this, that vileness, that filth, that horrendous, ugly worship of false gods will prevail against my church built on the foundation. That's the revelation of the Lord Jesus. And then sometime after that, it says that Jesus took three up on to a mountain to pray. He took three with him to pray. Guess who they were? They were the little rock and the sons of thunder. And on that mountain, as he prayed, as it says, as they prayed, something incredible happened. He was transformed in that place of presence in that place of communion where he had brought them he was transformed between their very eye before their very eyes he became radiant with splendor his glory emanated over the entire mountain and it was incredible and God bless Peter's heart, that little rock. He said, Lord, you know, there were two others with him, Elijah and Moses. Moses, who was so familiar with that place of the presence, was there with him. Elijah, the fiery chariot man. Whoa, Elijah, the one that was to come. He was in that place with the Lord, in that place of transfiguration where all hum human passed away and all glorious God came forth and manifested before the little rock and the sons of thunder. And Peter, don't you love Peter? <laughs> I just think he's my brother. He said, Lord, do you want us to build three tents here? Let's put up three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. See, sometimes it's okay to be human because you know what? When that comes forth, you know, our flesh, our human, the way it's like there are two ways, well, maybe more than that, ways of looking at things, but you can look through the eyes of the spirit or you can look through the eyes of humanity, of your flesh. 
You know, and Peter looked through the eyes of his flesh a couple of times. But then he also was the one that said, don't you know, you're a really odd people. And he said, you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. And your purpose is to give forth the praises of God. And John, oh my God, John. John had an encounter. And we call it revelation. But he got the revelation. But he had an encounter with, I think it's Revelation 5.5. If you want to put it up, you don't have to. But he was he was in <laughs> he was in the spirit, and in the spirit he encountered this glorious, incredible God, the Lord, the Lion, who is the Lamb, that same glorious God that was revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration. And that same glorious God that was revealed in that place of dwelling. And that same glorious God that wants to reveal himself to us in that place of dwelling. And I want you to know that in that place of dwelling, you'll be like John. Who said, oh my God, who am I? You'll be like Isaiah that said, woe is me. And you'll be like you'll be like all those who the centuries have cried out, oh God, who am I? And we call them the martyrs of the faith. We call them the ones whom the church, the ecclesia, the governing body of the living God was founded on. Because you know what? They knew the master key holder. And they knew who the master key holder was and the master key and they knew that they had a key specific for their portion so I pray that in as we go forth into the things of God for this body that we will come to that understanding that we have specific purpose and we will intentionally come into a place of communion with the living God. And in that place of communion, all jealousy, all envy, all gossip, will pass away because it will not be able to stand in the light and the glory of who he is. Something very important for us to know. 
God desires for us to go forward. But he wants us to know we will only go forward with him. And that stuff, that junk, that gates of hell, can't go with him, will not go with him. So if we want to go with him, that has to go. So, Father, I pray right now, Lord God, that your word will surely settle down in us, O oh Lord God. And, Father, that we will be a people who seek to know you, to know who you are in the fullness of your glory, O oh God. Father, that we will not be a people who elevate ourselves and think more highly of ourselves than we ought. But, Father, we will be a people who honor you and who honor our brothers and sisters, Lord God. Father, that we will take the mandate of the Lion Lamb King. Oh, my God. To go making disciples of all the nations. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that as we come into that clearer picture of who you are. Father, that where the shoulders have been weak, where we have felt burdened, oh Lord God, that we'll come into that place where the burden is lifted and he who carries the government on his shoulder will be made manifest and glorified, oh Lord God. Everywhere we go, Father, that you will be made, you will be glorified. The Lord Jesus Christ will be lifted up, the anointed one, the Holy One of Israel, the man, God, King, the Father, the mighty Counselor. Everywhere we go, be glorified. Father, I bless this people. I bless, this, bless them with goodness. I bless them with love. I bless them with courage. I bless them, O oh Lord God, with the desire to know you. To know you in that intimate place of dwelling. That place where covenant is made sure that place where the marriage the marriage is consummated in that place of knowing Father I bless them I bless this house in Jesus name Amen <laughs>